Good morning, church. Let me begin by saying that it was an awesome weekend. You can applaud. I want to give a big thanks to Pastor Joey and my beautiful wife for organizing all of this. All the servers who had a part in that, you can applaud. But I also want to thank the parents for allowing your children to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You can applaud. And last but not least, I want to thank Pastor Chad, my spiritual mentor, a great leader that I look up to for coming and sharing God's word with our youth. Please applaud. Show of hands, let me ask you a question. How many of you guys have ever seen a movie called Fight Club? Let me see. Raise your hand. A movie? Fight Club? Okay. Those of you that seen this movie, Fight Club, I'm going to ask you this question. What is the first rule of Fight Club? Very nice. This guy's a fanatic about Fight Club. Yes. Don't talk about Fight Club. The others of you that haven't seen this movie, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what this movie's about. Spoiler alert. I'm going to give you the ending, but if you haven't seen this movie, it came out in 1999, guys. If you haven't seen this movie, I'm sorry, but here's what this movie's about. You've got two guys. One of them is played by this actor, Edward Norton, and the other one's played by this actor, Brad Pitt. My wife says I look like Brad Pitt. I'm just kidding. She says I look like Tom Cruise. I don't know. That's what she says. No idea. But these two guys, they get together. They become friends and they form this club called the Fight Club where guys literally come together and fight. They fight each other. But then this club gets out of control. Brad Pitt starts leading this club and it becomes a cult. They start kidnapping people, breaking all sorts of law, bombing things. And through the movie, through Edward Norton's journey... At the end, Edward Norton realizes that Brad Pitt didn't exist. It was a figment of his imagination. The man who was leading all these horrific things, in reality, was Edward Norton. Today, we're going to see a journey of an unnamed man. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see a man go from alienation to restoration And then proclamation. And my hope as we open God's word today is that you could identify who this man, this unnamed man is or was that went from alienation to restoration to proclamation. So have your Bibles with you. Please open them up to Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 1. We're starting a new chapter in our series, The Gospel According to Mark. Let me just remind you guys of what we covered last week, what we read. Last week we read that Jesus instructs his disciples to get in a boat with him to cross the Sea of Galilee, this big lake. And as they're crossing this sea, a huge storm just encounters them out of the blue. There's winds blowing, there's waves crashing into the boat. The disciples start freaking out, but Jesus asleep. So they're terrified, the disciples are. And they wake Jesus up and they ask him, Jesus, we're dying here. Don't you care? So Jesus wakes up 
He commands nature. He commands the winds and the storms to stop. And we have a scene of just chaos. And all of a sudden there's calmness. And then Jesus asks them, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? And the disciples are in awe. And they say to each other, who? Who is this man that's in the boat with us? That he speaks in creation. Listen, who is this man? At that moment, the disciples get a closer view or a better realization that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And today we're going to begin our story in this man's journey, like I mentioned, in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Mark. It says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately, this is one of Mark's favorite words, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So after a very long day of teaching, after encountering a storm that Jesus could not get some rest, he ends up crossing the Sea of Galilee. And we read about this man with an unclean spirit rushed to him. Now the territory... I have an image on the screen behind me. This territory where this took place, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was up in Capernaum, which was his home base. He gets into the boat with the disciples, and they cross over to that area, the Gerasenes area. Now, this whole territory is known as the Decapolis, which literally means ten cities. Now, this is really important. This area was Gentile territory. And Jews and Gentiles did not mix. Jews believed Gentiles were unclean, that they were hopeless. They would never be part of God's family, never be part of God's plan. And so as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat into this Gentile territory, this unnamed man with an unclean spirit rushes to Jesus. And before we continue our story, I want to mention quickly some things about demon possessions. First of all, I want to remind us what Paul says in Ephesians 6.12. He says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Church, all around us there is a war, a spiritual war war. And when it comes to Satan's schemes, we need to remember, first of all, that all sin, all illness, all that is evil in this world, all death is from Satan. There's an ongoing rebellion between Satan and God. Also, church, listen, demon possessions do occur now. Churches do not teach about that, but they do occur now just like they occurred then, just like we're reading right now. There are occasions when an individual can become a victim of direct demonic control. But there's a big difference between demonic oppressions and demonization. And here's how they differ. A demonic oppression is the attack of Satan against the believer through doubts and temptations. If you are a believer 
If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, you are oppressed. They're called temptations. Every single day a believer wakes up, there is a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And there's some seasons where believers more oppressed than others. There's some seasons where there's more temptations, there's more guilt, there's more doubts. Those are oppressions. Demonization. Demonization occurs when Satan has gained a stronghold, an area in a believer's life, either through habitual sin, an ongoing sin, either through a habitual sin, a generational sin, a sin that's been passed on from generation to generation, addictions, curses, exposures to the cult, exposure to the cult, or through trauma or victimization. That's demonization. And so we see that this unnamed man's journey, first of all, begins with alienation. He is alienated. He is isolated. He is outside. He is an outcast. Verse 3. This man lived among the tombs, Mark says. And no one can bind him anymore. Not even. Not even the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart. And he broke the shackles in pieces. No man could subdue this un. This unclean, possessed spirit man, if that's a word. He was out of control. Look what it says. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying. Crying out, yelling, hurting himself. He was cutting himself with stones, it says. He lived, Mark says, he lived among the tombs. Outside of community. Now these were caves up in the hills where, where people would bury their dead. He was living with the dead people. He was practically a dead man walking. And Mark also says that he was unbindable, again, out of control, supernatural strength. Now this word bind is demanzo in Greek, which literally means to tame a wild animal. This man was a wild animal who wasn't tameable. They couldn't resist him. They couldn't hold him down. He was always screaming, cutting himself, alienated, isolated, apart. I love what one commentary says about this man's behavior. He says, such behavior shows that demon possession is not mere sickness or insanity, but a desperate satanic attempt to distort and destroy God's image in man. That's what it is. So here again, we have this man enslaved, out of control, lost, living among the dead, practically dead himself, alienated, hurting himself, screaming for mercy, screaming for help, no one listening. And then this man's journey goes from alienation. He sees Jesus and then it goes to restoration. Verse 6. And when the man saw Jesus from afar, he ran, it says, he ran and fell down before him at his feet. And crying with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now this, this title or this verse 
literally translates to this. What do you have with me? What do you and I have to do with each other? What is the business that we're going to deal with is what he's saying. He says, I adjure you by God. Do not, do not torment me. Verse 8, for Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus crosses over on the other side. And this man, possessed, runs to Jesus. And notice, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He knows about his divinity. And he knows about his power. And he calls him Jesus, the son of the most high God. Now this title is mostly used in the Old Testament. And every time you read this title in the Old Testament, it's usually given by a Gentile, a non-Jew. And when a Gentile proclaimed Jesus, uh, the son of the most high God, was he, what he was saying was that God was the only God, the God of Israel. And so again, this man, possessed by demons, recognized off the bat who Jesus was, his deity. It's in this, isn't it interesting that last week, the disciples who were with Jesus day in and day out, didn't fully understand the deity of Christ, but yet here, the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. And because of this, because of his power, because Jesus is the son of God, the demons ask him, please do not torment us. Verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So Jesus, talking to the demons through the man, asks him, what is your name? And he responds, Legion. Because we are many. Now a legion was about 6,000 soldiers. And so you can imagine that this poor unnamed man was demonized, was possessed by an army of demons with one spokesman. And that spokesman called himself Legion. Poor man. Again, verse 9, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, Legion for we are many. And he begged. Now, in Greek, this word begged is parakalio, which means to implore desperately, hopelessly. And he begged him earnestly, do not send us out of the country. They don't want to be sent out of the country. Now, I believe and some scholars believe that this area, the Decapolis, was so evil that the demons believed that if they would stay in the country, they would easily possess someone else without, without a hesitation. So they begged Jesus, do not send us out of the country. And please do not torment us. And so it's funny. They begin to negotiate with Jesus about where they will go or can go. Verse 11. It says, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, here's that word again, begged. 
parakaleo. They begged them saying, send us to the pigs. L let us enter them. Why is all this negotiation going on? Why is all this pleading of where they can go? Church, the demons know that Jesus is victorious. That the battle is done. That Jesus has conquered death, has conquered evil, has conquered Satan at the cross. And so they know that one day at the final judgment, they're going to be cast into the abyss forever and ever. And so they're begging Jesus, negotiating with him, don't send us to the abyss yet. Not yet, Jesus. Jude 1.6 says this. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept an eternal change under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. They know. They know that it is done. And so they beg Jesus, don't, don't send us there yet. Like send us into those pigs instead. Verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Notice how much authority Jesus has over the demons. Not only does he give them permission, he sends them where he wants to send them. That's the power of Christ Jesus. Because Jesus is the Son of God. So I don't know if you've noticed, but throughout this gospel, like I've mentioned to you, that the main purpose of Mark in writing this gospel is to show to his audience the divinity of Christ. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we have seen in reading this gospel the authority that Jesus has over the physical realm. The miracles, cleansing of the lepers, healing of the cripple. Just last week, we see how Jesus has authority over the natural realm. He speaks and creation listens. And time and time again, throughout the gospel, we have seen how Jesus has control over the spiritual realm. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So after the, the demons beg Jesus, don't, don't send us out of the country. Please don't send us into the abyss. And they ask Jesus, look, send us into the pigs instead. He does so. Could you imagine the chaos? When the demons come out of this man and go into the pigs and the pigs feel the evil presence in them. The squealing, the running around. They're going down a cliff into the sea and they're drowning the noise, the commotion. So because of this, watch what happens next. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, totally different, transformed in his right mind. And they were afraid. So this great chaos, this great commotion. The herdsmen are there. So they run and tell everyone of what has happened. It is big news. They call the Gordiloca. She announces it to all the area. And everybody comes back. 
freaked out. And what do they see? They see this unnamed man who was once enslaved, out of control. They see this unnamed man who was once alienated, isolated, living with dead people, living in the tombs. They see a man who was once crying out for help, crying for mercy. They see this man now sitting at the feet of Jesus. Totally restored, completely healed, transformed, clothed and in his right mind. No longer out of community, but in community. The people church witnessed this unnamed man's journey go from alienation to restoration. They saw this change in this man that was unexplainable. But did you notice, did you notice the reaction? Again, verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, totally different, clothed, normal. And they were what? Afraid. They were afraid. The same reaction we saw from the disciples last week. When Jesus gets up and there's chaos all around them. And then all of a sudden there's calmness and they're afraid. This is the exact same reaction we see from the herdsmen. There's chaos in this man. Crazy, out of control, unbindable. And now we see or they see this man totally transformed and they're afraid. See, the disciples got to witness and they felt a better understanding of who Jesus was. But these men, as we're about to see, did not. Verse 16, and those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to, and here's that word again, beg Jesus to depart from their region. Now pay, pay close attention. These herdsmen go off. The, the people that had seen what had happened go off and tell others. They come back and they tell them, look, this is what happened to this man. But also, this is what happened to the pigs. And because of what had happened, they begged Jesus, Jesus, leave. Get out of here. Don't be here anymore. This is important because did you notice they didn't celebrate. They didn't celebrate that this man had been restored this man that was living amongst the dead in the tombs, out of control, is now sitting at Jesus' feet. And they didn't celebrate. They were more concerned about what had happened to the pigs. See, they feared that if Jesus stayed in that region, there would be further economic loss. And they didn't want that. I believe that these people were more concerned about their lifestyle than about this poor man's life. So, so far we've, we've seen this, unmans, this unnamed man's journey go from alienation to restoration. And now, let's look at his proclamation. The proclamation of this man. Verse 18, and Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed, who had now been changed, he'd been possessed with demons, parakaleo, begged him that he might be with him. This word beg has been used a lot in the story we've just read. But there's huge differences. The demons begged Jesus not to send them into the abyss. 
the herdsmen, after witnessing what Jesus had done, begged Jesus to leave. But unlike, unlike the demons and the herdsmen, this man who had been restored, this man who was once possessed, begs Jesus, begs him to stay, that he could be with him. Do you know why this is? Because this unnamed man had gone from alienation to restoration. But his journey, church, his journey did not end there. It goes on to proclamation. Verse 19, and Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. If you have your Bibles with you, underline this verse. This is the main verse in this passage. The command that Jesus gives this man to do. This changed man. This restored man. And he tells him two things. He tells him to go. To go tell your friends, your family members that the Lord... In Greek, this word is kurios, which is a title for God. It's a title for Christ. He's saying, go and tell your people, your Gentile people, what God has done for you. But not only that, go and tell them of his mercy. L-A-L in Greek. Which is to show compassion, kindness, total concern for someone who is in serious need. And so verse 20, this unnamed man goes out. He went away and began to proclaim, proclaim in all that area, in the Decapolis, in all these 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. They were amazed. But notice, we've seen throughout this gospel that when the demons recognize who Jesus is, he gives them a command of silence. Don't, don't, don't say anything. Not, not yet. We've also seen when Jesus cures people, these miracles, he also tells them, don't say anything. This command of silence. But here we see the contrary. He tells this unnamed man to go. Go and tell the Gentile area of what God has done for you and of his mercy. Again, Jesus was a Jew. And Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. But this man, this Gentile man, went out and evangelized. He proclaimed the goodness of God. And the result? They all marveled. Why? Because they heard of this man's journey that went from alienation to restoration and proclamation. At the beginning, church, I asked you, or I said that my hope would be that you would recognize who this unnamed man is. Do you know who it is? It's you. It's you. It's me. It's not to the extreme of being demon-possessed. That's not what I'm saying. But every believer goes through the journey that we just saw this man go through. Church, this man was once enslaved. We too were enslaved. Enslaved to sin. Romans 6, 17, but thanks be to God that 
you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. This man was once alienated, set apart with no hope. We too who were once alienated, hopeless. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having zero hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far, alienated, out of community, have been brought near by the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This man was once following Satan. Not only was he living among the dead, he was a dead man walking. We too, church, were once dead men walking. Again, Ephesians 2, this time verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following Satan, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. My two favorite words put together in the Bible, but God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even, even when we're dead in our trespasses, walking away from him, bucking against God, having nothing to do with him, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, church, we have been saved. This man once was crying out for help, crying out for mercy. We too, church, once cried out for mercy. Psalm 142.1, with my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. Again, we are that unnamed man in this story. We've all, as believers, have gone through this journey from alienation to restoration. But let me ask you, does your journey end there? Is there proclamation? Is there proclamation in your journey? Are you telling others? Are you telling your family? Are you telling your loved ones? Are you telling, are you telling your area of what God has done for you? And more importantly, the mercy that he has shown on you. Does your journey end in restoration? See, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God and I not others, I will tell what, what he has done for my soul. Are you proclaiming the good news? Are you inviting others to come to church? Are you sharing your testimony? Do people see a change in you? Are you telling people what God has done for you, the mercy that he has shown you? Are you? And if not, why not? Maybe it's because you were your concern of what others are going to think of you, just like the herdsmen were concerned. They don't want to damage their lifestyle. Is that you? Are you more concerned about your lifestyle than a person's life, eternal life? Maybe you think that some people are, are, are unreachable, are hopeless. You're saying to yourself, no way, not them. Are you kidding me? 
They're full of tattoos. They're cussing all the time. They go to bars. They're addicts. They curse. This man in the story, church, was a Gentile. And Jews believed that Gentiles were unclean, were hopeless. This man in the story was living among the dead. And Jews believed that anything that was dead was unclean. You couldn't even go near to anything that was dead because it would make you unclean. This man lived alongside pigs. And to a Jew, pigs were unclean. But yet, this Jewish man, Jesus Christ, giving all of that apart, reached out and healed an unclean man. Or maybe you're not proclaiming God's word. You're saying to yourself, I, I don't know the Bible well enough. This man was a Gentile, not a Jew. He didn't know scriptures. All he did, he went out and told everyone what God had done for him and the mercy that God had shown him. Listen, church, listen closely. There are people, there are people in your family, the people in your community, people that you work with, there are people in the city that you are in contact with. There are people that need to hear about Jesus Christ. There are people living the way this man used to live, enslaved to sin, alienated, dead in their trespasses, crying out for help. And if they don't receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're destined to destruction, eternal destruction. And they need to hear from you. They need to hear from me all that God has done for us and of his beautiful and unending mercy. We need to tell others about our journey, church, from alienation to restoration. And it needs to go on further that, than that to proclamation. And if you and I and us as a church family did this, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, our region, the Laredo region, would be amazed. And God willing, they too would run to Jesus' feet. And they too would begin their journey from alienation to restoration. And then proclaiming to others of what God has done for them and his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, I do give you thanks and praise for your unending love. That you reach out to sinners sinners in this world but because of your love your mercy you sent your son to sacrifice his life on our behalf and so because of him because of his death and resurrection we have been restored but father i pray that as your church grace bible church we don't stop there our journey continues to proclaiming the good news so that others can hear who your son is, so that others can feel your love, your mercy. And I pray all these things in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.